the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All righty then. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for being with us as we get started at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. On a Monday, the very first Monday, the very first day, period, in the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Hope you're having a great day today. Off to a great start, maybe with Hugh Hewitt. That's a great thing to do. If you just tuned in for us for the first time, or to us, and for the show for the first time today, thank you so much for doing that. I always tell you, whether you listen for 10 minutes or for all three hours, thank you for what you do, and uh, we're going to try to deliver for you today. So we've got uh, a lot of work to do this morning. Um, the state of security in this country is uh, is a disaster. That's the best way to describe it. It is a disaster by way of our southern border, and it is only going to get worse. Ten days from now, ten days is all we have left of Title 42 being in force. And when Title 42 ends on May 11th, this country is about to become a much, much, much more dangerous place. It is also going to be a country that becomes poorer. It's also going to be a country that becomes um, much more difficult to manage because of the overwhelming number of national, state, 
and local resources that are going to have to be poured into dealing with hundreds of thousands of more migrants coming into this country. I will call them illegal aliens, but you know as well as I do that the administration sees them not as illegal aliens, but as poor, desperate people seeking asylum in a foreign country. And, of course, our asylum laws require us to give them that protection. Title 42 is about to end, and this country is about to change. It's already been a very, very drastic change over the course of the last two and a half years of the Brandon administration, in which we have allowed more illegal border crossers to come into this country and commit more extraordinary crimes while they're here than anyone in, in American history ever has, literally. We were at record low numbers of crossings after extraordinary numbers during the Biden administration, or excuse me, Obama administration, we uh, we we dipped down to record lows in the Trump administration, and now under Joe Biden, we are even worse than we were prior to Trump. That is the reality of the situation, and that's going to be the subject of our um, of our monologue today. And by the way, it's going to be extended because um, we do not have Jim Jordan this morning at nine thirty-five. The uh, uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee has a travel conflict today, so he's on tomorrow at five thirty-five. I love the fact that Congressman Jordan knows the importance of speaking to his constituents within this audience. You know, he does a lot of media, no question about it, but he could limit himself to all of the Fox News, uh, you know, interviews that he wants to do and all of the other national uh, sites, but he always makes sure to come local and talk to his constituents here uh, by way of AM 1420, The Answer. And uh, even if his schedule conflicts, he doesn't cancel, he re, uh, you know, uh, reschedules. And so that's what will happen tomorrow. At 9.35, we will talk to Congressman Jim Jordan. So we have a lot of room in this first hour. In fact, the first two hours, we have a lot of room for you and your thoughts. 216-901-0945. You can also dial 888 Now, before we get into Title 42 and what it means and what the danger is going to be in this country, I'm going to ask you to rise and pledge your allegiance to this country by way of its flag. Stand and face your flag if you have one. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this Pledge of Allegiance. If you believe that the United States should not have borders, if you believe that the United States should allow people to come and go at their will, if you believe that borders do not matter, well, then I think you probably get the gist. You don't support this flag. You don't support the republic that it represents. You are therefore exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee and snicker over there next to your favorite former unemployed quarterback. As for the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. They have already declared a state of emergency in El Paso, Texas. It's 10 days away, the end of Title 42. It's 10 days away, and they have declared a state of emergency because the people of El Paso, Texas, are among those border communities that do indeed bear the brunt of the reckless, horrific border policies of the Brandon administration. El Paso, Texas, will enter a state of emergency starting Monday in advance of the pandemic-era end of the uh, pandemic-era immigration policy, Title 42. 
The border city's mayor, Oscar Leeser, uh, declared at a press conference Sunday afternoon the city is anticipating an influx of immigrants when Title 42, used during the COVID-19 pandemic to quickly expel migrants, is set to expire on May 11th. Already, asylum seekers are camping out on the sidewalks and staying at shelters in the Ciudad, and I don't speak Spanish, sorry, Juarez, Mexico, uh, just across the border from El Paso. The declarations in effect for seven days, after which El Paso City Council will decide whether to extend the order. They might as well extend the order for the next 365 days or more, because there there is no relief in sight for them. And, oh, by the way, once they get into a, to El Paso and finish destroying that city and sucking up all of its resources, you know they will be moved into other places, making all 50 states, including our state, border states. El Paso has been preparing to open two emergency temporary shelters at the vacant Bassett Middle School and Moorhead Middle School. The emergency declaration will allow access to additional resources to keep El Paso residents and asylum seekers safe. Really? Good luck with that. Uh, once Title 42 is lifted, the Border Patrol will continue enforcing immigration laws that could punish migrants with a five-year ban on legally entering the United States. <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> As if bans stop any of them from coming into this country when they want to. In criminal prosecution, if a migrant is caught illegally entering the country more than once, the Biden administration also said it plans to increase deportations once Title 42 is lifted. Are you? Who do they think they're talking to? Who do, how stupid do they think we are? We are living this. We are watching this. We are living this. We know exactly what the branded administration plans are. The administration says that anyone who doesn't use one of the available pathways to enter the country legally could also be barred from requesting asylum in the future. This is this is comical. Let's um, we, there's a lot of elements to this, so I want you to bear with me. We're going to hit this for a little bit here. First of all, um, the Brandon administration cannot be taken seriously, not when you have a secretary of the Department of Homeland Security like Alejandro Mayorkas, who is steadfastly opposed to securing the southern border who is steadfastly opposed to affirming American national sovereignty, who believes that the United States should be an open border nation for people to come, suck up our resources, and then depart, bringing with them Lord only can tell um, what amounts of extraordinary crime with them. And we're talking about human trafficking, which has increased exponentially, that's the word, by the way, President Biden. Um, exponentially since the Brandon administration took over. We're talking about drugs and not just deadly fentanyl. There's been enough fentanyl trafficked across that border because of the open border policies of the Brandon administration to kill every American two or three times over. That's not a that's not an exaggeration. The last uh, cash that they that they apprehended would have killed three, uh, some fifty six million people. There's three hundred thirty million people here. They've done this time and time and time again. So this is all flowing across the border. Lord only knows how much they get by. You know, with with, with what we apprehend, uh, it's probably one fraction of what actually gets through. Violent drug cartels bringing not just the fentanyl but cocaine and heroin uh, across the border. It is, it's, it's beyond the scope of our comprehension, quite frankly, which is why we hire and appoint people like, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas to bring some, some sanity to this. 
Boy, what I want to play for you right now is a question that was asked by Chuck Todd yesterday on MSNBC, or excuse me, uh, uh, NBC's Meet the Press. I want you to listen to the new definition, the new definition of secure border as, as determined and defined by the Secretary of Homeland Security. This being our homeland and him being charged with its security, this is, this is more than just a little bit interesting. It's disturbing. What's up? Uh, the definition of secure border to you it is in the context uh, in which we are working it is maximizing the resources that we have available to us to deliver the most effective results and something that is overlooked that i speak about frequently Mm -hmm. is the fact that our apprehension rates at our southern border are consistent with the apprehension rates in the prior administration Mm -hmm. and why is that it is because of the extraordinary and extraordinarily heroic work of our United States Border Patrol. Well, but, but the challenge yeah. is enormous. The Border Patrol hates you, sir. The Border Patrol hates you and your boss and everyone that is encouraging this overrunning of our southern border and the criminal activity that comes with it. Let's go back to the answer to to Chuck Todd's question. What is the definition of a secure border? What did he say? He said, it is maximizing the resources that we have available to us to deliver the most effective results. What? That's a secure border? maximizing the resources that we have available to us to deliver the most effective results. That is a nothing sentence. That is, that, is, that is a word salad. That is crap. You said nothing. The answer to the question, what is the definition of a secure border, is a border through which illegal aliens cannot pass. That's a secure border. Then the follow-up question would be, do we have a secure border? And considering there have been over 5 million illegal aliens who have come across that border in the two years plus of the Brandon administration, the only honest answer would be, no, of course we don't have a secure border. But he won't say that. Which brings us to point number three. House Republicans, at the end of last week, unveiled a massive, sweeping package of of border and immigration reforms and bills that they say they will pass by the second week of May, in the same week that the Title 42 barrier ends. The package is a combination of legislation from three different committees. It's being called the strongest border security package that Congress has ever taken up. The three committee chairmen's uh, chairs, rather, representatives Mark Green, Jim Jordan, and Mike McCall introduced their components, their respective components, at a press conference uh, late last week while tearing into the Biden administration for what I just did, the open borders posture that they have adopted, which has uh, attracted a staggering 5 million illegal migrants to the southern border since January 2021, according to federal data. And that doesn't count the gotaways. The gotaways, which is an untold number of millions. The gotaways are the most dangerous, by the way, as you know. 
Because the gotaways are the ones that can't just turn themselves into Border Patrol or some sort of law enforcement to say, Asylum, I seek asylum, therefore you can't, re- you can't eject me or evict me from this country. I'm seeking asylum. You have to give me an asylum hearing. We all know the drill. Catch and release then allows those authorities to turn these people loose into the um, interior of the United States with a promise, wink, wink, that they will return for asylum hearings whenever they're scheduled six months or six years from now. And we all know the drill. But the Godaways can't do that because the Godaways, they can't turn themselves in and then just get released and then promise to come back because they are transporting something. The Godaways have a reason to run. They could all do the same thing if they weren't trafficking something. And that is just say, oh, I'm here seeking asylum. And uh, you want me a hearing. I'll see you in, uh, you know, in a couple of years whenever you get that backlog cleared up. No, they're they're hiding something. They're trafficking something. So this this doesn't even begin to to cover that part of it. Representative Green said an estimated 1.4 million have crossed the border uh, undetected, and more than six million migrant crossings is greater than all of the folks who came in under President Obama and President Trump. That's 12 years combined in just two years, and yet Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden continue to tell us that the border is not open that the border is secure. Every single thing that Mayorkas is doing, and there was a tweet from Representative Mark Green about this, every single thing he's doing at our southern border is to speed more people through, not halt them. It is literally to flood the zone, to flood the southern border with untold number of people that we simply cannot care for, cannot even possibly calculate, and then they're going to have to be dispersed in order to um, kind of kind of uh, redistribute the pain, if you will, making other cities and states and communities across this country feel some of that pain. And why? Because they want more people here. Yes, they want more voters. Yes, they want to bring these people here and then grant mass amnesty. Then they want to grant citizenship. And yes, you better believe the great replacement theory is in effect. They have stated so. So there's so much more to get into here. I've got a lot of ground to cover. I want you to join me at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. It's always right. Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. What's uh, the definition of secure border to you? It is in the context uh, in which we are working. It is maximizing the resources that we have available to us to deliver the most effective results. <laughs> you talk about a steaming pant load. That's what that is. What is the definition of a secure border to you? I give you mine. A border in which people who are not legally allowed to cross it are stopped from crossing it. That's a secure border. I I can't believe that we have to go as elementary school on this as I am here, but but this guy thinks that the definition of secure border means maximizing resources to deliver the most effective results. What about the fact that over five and a half, six million people have come across that border in the last two years alone? More than... As Representative Green said, Chairman Green said, came across the border in the Trump and Obama administrations 12 years combined. How is that a secure border? It's unbelievable that we even have to have this conversation, but we are, and we will, and we'll continue to talk more about what the Biden administration is going to do when they, of course, stop that very important 
uh, triumvirate of bills that are for border security. Once they get past uh, uh, the House, they're going to stop it in the Senate, even if they do get a vote or two from a rogue uh, leftist senator. You know, Biden is going to veto it, which means they are literally greenlighting the invasion of the United States of America. We'll talk more right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. It is 937 Always Right Radio. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Good Monday to you, May Day, first day of May. On the 11th day of May, the country's going to change. It's already been changing, obviously, not for the better. We have been, cre- we have been dealing with some um, extraordinary circumstances because of the theft of an election and because of the complete capitulation of the American left. Uh, or excuse me, to the American left, by the American people. We have sacrificed the sovereignty of this country. Um, this is uh, Jonathan Fahey. He is the former director of ICE. That's Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Well, I think they're playing the long game on this, and they do expect them to be voters. And, you know, Congress just recently voted to, to allow non-citizens to vote in D.C. So it's a mainstream position. So they're pushing what they call comprehensive immigration reform, which is basically to formalize the amnesty of everyone that's gotten here illegally and open the border. So, yes, this is a long-term political play. And people... People may not vote on the border issue. They may. But long term, I think the Democrats see this as a win for them. They, But that's what they do. It is a win for them. It's a win for them because comprehensive immigration reform is everything that they want with nothing that they don't. What does that mean? Comprehensive immigration reform is supposed to be the marriage of some sort of of border security in the way of in the form of a wall or 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 whatever it is that they want to use to, to that the Trump administration did to actually force people to go to points of entry if they want to request admission to the United States rather than swimming the river or uh, being carried across in the back of a 140 degree uh, 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 semi tractor trailer or any of the other ways that they come across illegally. Um, but comprehensive immigration reform is supposed to be something that strengthens the actual border, but takes all of the millions and millions of illegal aliens who have already crossed and makes them legal, gives them amnesty, gives them a status to stay, and puts them on a pathway to citizenship. So every time that a Republican lawmaker votes against amnesty, they claim that it's the Republicans that are holding up uh, securing our southern border because it's part of, quote, comprehensive immigration reform. If you let us legalize the millions and millions that are already here, then we'll put a few more protections on the actual physical southern border. So then when Republicans say, no, we're not agreeing to that, well, then they get accused in ads and interviews and left-wing television and newspapers and so on and so forth. So there's Republicans who are stopping the security securing of the southern border. It sounds asinine because it is asinine. What have the Republicans actually proposed here? They've proposed a bill. I told you it's kind of a, a, a conglomeration of three bills. But it would require construction on the incomplete border wall to resume immediately. 
Allocate funding for retention bonuses for U.S. Border Patrol agents because we can't find enough people to go down there and just get overrun, if not attacked by cartel members and more. And it would withhold federal funding from any non-governmental agencies, NGOs, that continue, or organizations, beg your pardon, non-governmental organizations, that continue their uh, well-documented practice of aiding illegal aliens with food, shelter, and travel. Uh, Jim Jordan's bill, which passed the Judiciary Committee last week, focuses on immigration enforcement. It would reform the broken and abused asylum process. And that's, if you're looking for one item, one method, there are obviously many, many things that need to be done. But if you're looking for one that maybe we should focus most of our attention on, it's the one that Jordan has focused his attention on, and that is the definition of asylum. The asylum process is broken. The asylum process has to be reformed. We have to return to the Remain in Mexico policy. If somebody is seeking asylum here, if they're coming from a country that is not Mexico, they're coming through Mexico from around the world, which they are, they have to request asylum in Mexico first. And then if they want to go from Mexico to the United States, there is a very, very, should be a very, very strenuous process because you are no longer... um, fleeing whatever persecution you were in your home country. Whatever it was that drove you from your country into Mexico, and thus with a goal of getting to the United States, you're already you're already free of that. Because they're not persecuting you in Mexico from your foreign, former country. So remain in Mexico is extraordinarily important. Those are those are just some of the things that absolutely have to be done. Uh but then we have to change our asylum laws. Uh Jordan's bill uh, would reform the broken and abused asylum process that has driven up the number of cases backlogged in the immigration courts to more than 2 million. I mean, we'll, be, we'll be taking these cases for the next 15, 20 years, just if we added no more. But we we're going to continue to add millions more. But these people aren't going to get their cases heard. And that's why they're not even worried about not... That's why catch and release makes catch and release so dangerous. They know they're not going to get called because their time is never going to come. And if it does, that's when they just go and hide. Most of those claiming that they are eligible for asylum are not detained when they cross the border, but rather released into the country. This is catch and release, as I talked about. The asylum hearings, if they appear for them at all, take an average of more than four years to occur. And as I said before, with two million now on the backlog, you could just double, triple that. It's going to be, I don't know, eight, 10, 12, 15 years maybe even uh, before, especially once Title 42 ends and you have that many more people coming through. The bill po- uh, proposed by the Republicans... Um, that they're going to pass, they say, next week, would replace Title 42, one of the last remaining means of quickly expelling illegal migrants, which the Biden administration is terminating on May 11th, with a more powerful explosion, or excuse me, powerful expulsion justification for illegal crossers. The bill would curb the practice of rushing to process illegal unaccompanied minors into the country, uh, country at the expense of safety and humaneness. Uh, as well as mandate e- mandate e verify for all U.S. employers. So there's there's a lot of ground to cover there, obviously. And then there is this a survey that should send shockwaves through the entire Democrat establishment if they really truly do care about reelection and they have not yet made it legal for illegal aliens to vote at least. Legally, and we all know the chicanery that they will resort to to cheat and steal and commit fraud in elections, and maybe that's the the purpose of having millions of more people that can that can uh, participate in that, I suppose. But in the reality is, 
if the Democrats really are concerned about their uh, about elections and about uh, maintaining their power, they might be interested in this survey done by the Trafalgar Group for the Convention of States. Ninety percent of Americans, nearly ninety percent of likely general election voters, blame the federal government for this ongoing crisis. They don't blame Mexico. They don't blame the other governments that are allowing these people or kind of forcing them. And they don't blame the people themselves. They blame the federal government for doing nothing to secure that border. And guess who is the federal government right now? It's the Brandon administration. And, yes, the still Democrat-controlled Senate. I know the Republicans have the House, but this is the reality. Here's what we see in this survey. 91.4% of Republicans said it is the sole responsibility of the federal government to manage this current influx of migrants and secure the border. 82.9% of Democrats say the same. That's a, you know, significant difference, 91 to 82%, or 83% will round up for the Democrats there. But still, when 83% of Democrats say it's up to the federal government to stop this, to do something about this, you would think that Democrats uh, in power would take note of that. Also, 84.5% of independents say the same. Altogether, 86.8% of respondents believe it is the responsibility of the federal government to take care of this. Not the states, not the other countries involved. It is the federal government's handling of this that they are holding responsible. Respondents were asked, in light of authorities at the border being overwhelmed, do you believe it is the responsibility of states or the federal government to handle increased costs at the southern border? Um, President of Convention of States Action, Mark Meckler, said, I've never seen a poll like this where 87% of the American public blames the federal government for the problem at the border. What's most interesting as you dig into the crosstabs is that all the Democrats, breakdowns by age, party race, what you saw was no difference literally within a few points across the board. So it's almost 90% of the people blame the federal government. And so why isn't the federal government taking note of that? Why wouldn't the Biden administration be terrified by that and saying we can't go into 2024 like this because they're going to hold us responsible? And to that I say, you're diggity gosh darn right. And yes, if I wasn't on the air, I probably would have said something a little bit harsher. You're doggone right we will. We are going to blame you at every single step of the way. And when Title 42 ends from the Trump era, uh, uh, on May 11th, and the five and a half million or whatever it is that have crossed already become six and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half million illegal crossers by the time the Biden administration uh, final final scorecard is written before he comes up for re-election in 2024, or they, the Democrats, regardless of who they run, um, they're all going to have to answer that to these American people and these voters, and it is astounding. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. There's so much ground to cover here. Like I said, and and in fact, let me before I go to calls, let me hit this other one. What are the ramifications of these policies? What are the ramifications of allowing unchecked numbers of illegals to cross our border in any variety of ways? Then just say, if they get caught, amnesty, I'm declaring amnesty. Okay, go on. And that's what it is. That's what the, the Biden administration catch and release policy is. What are the ramifications? What are the, what are the results of that? Well, the results of that is some very, 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 very bad people 
come into the United States. People like Francisco Oropesa. He's still on the loose. After he shot up a bunch of his neighbors in a rural Texas neighborhood on Friday. He's the next-door neighbor of the shooting victims. He shot four of them, four members of a family, execution-style, in their home. A fifth person, an eight-year-old child, was flown to a hospital and later died there. The manhunt is still underway. This is as of yesterday evening. If something happened in this early morning hours that I'm not aware of, then I apologize. But, but as of uh, yesterday evening... San Jacinto County Sheriff Greg Caper said they were able to identify Oropesa through his Mexican consulate card and a doorbell camera. What isn't being said in the reporting is whether or not uh, Oropesa uh, has, has fled. Nobody knows at this particular point whether or not he has fled, but he is a Mexican national. He is an illegal alien. Five people are dead because we refuse to keep illegal aliens out of the country. This mass shooting happened in a small community of Cleveland, Texas, about 50 miles north of Houston, according to the report. Oropesa was said to be intoxicated and shooting a gun in his backyard. His neighbor, Wilson Garcia, asked him to stop making so much noise because his baby was trying to go to sleep. According to the report, it's common for residents in this high immigrant population area to unwind by firing guns in their yards whenever they feel like it. This is what has led, of course, the left to look at the story not as a case of an illegal alien coming into this country and killing people who would not have been able to kill these people had we actually had border security, but they've turned this into a gun crime. What's about the guns, you see? You see, because they like to shoot guns in their backyards just to quote-unquote unwind and, 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 and you know, relieve some stress. And when somebody complained... Well, obviously, the gun is the responsibility here. It's a normal thing people do around here, especially Fridays after work, said Renee Aravelo, uh, who lives a few houses down. They get home, they start drinking in their backyards, and they just start shooting. Well, in this case, they shot somebody who complained about the noise and his entire family. So what are the ramifications of allowing uncontrolled Uncontrolled isn't the way I want to say that. Um, Essentially, what are are the ramifications of unchecked um, illegal crossings of our southern border? I'll phrase it unchecked. What are the ramifications? Drugs, human smuggling, cartel members, gang members, and overall violent, dangerous criminals. Now, does that mean that every border crosser is a smuggler of guns? or drugs, or humans, or our cartel members, or gang members, or dangerously violent people? No. That's what they did to Donald Trump when he came down the escalator and talked about, I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall because Mexico is sending rapists and murderers and criminals to us. And he said, oh, my God, he just said every Mexican is a rapist and a murderer and a criminal. No, he didn't. He said, but they are sending them across the border hiding amidst the masses of other people, overwhelming our resources, overwhelming our border security, overwhelming our law enforcement, 
and yes, letting them go free to commit heinous, horrific crimes. All of them, no. No one ever said. Trump didn't say it, and I'm not saying it. That all of the people coming across from Mexico, first of all, they're not all Mexicans. Because they're coming from around the world. Mexico, if Mexico is to be blamed for anything here, and there's two things I think they should be blamed for, is they refuse to patrol their own southern border, and they refuse to patrol their northern border. Because if they were truly partners with the United States here on this North American continent and, and, are, and are hoping to engage with us and to continue to engage with us in trade and tourism, they would be patrolling their own southern border and making sure people don't cross it from that side before we have to catch them on this side. But the Mexican uh, uh, government, does they have no interest whatsoever in stopping people from coming from around the world up into their country and then allowing them to pass through to get, to get into our country. So that means it's up to us. And if it's up to us and the Biden administration, the branded administration is in control or is in power, if you will, they have no control whatsoever. If they allow this unchecked, rampant illegal immigration into this country, we are going to see more and more and more people killed here, more and more people uh, using the deadly drugs that are brought, more and more human beings trafficked, more and more people victimized by violent gang members, more and more people victimized by violent cartel members. That's the reality of it. This is going to get worse, friends. Mind you, I'm talking to you about all of this on May 1. Wait until May 11. Ten days from now, all hell is going to break loose. And now we'll take your phone calls. 216-901-0945 right after this on Always Right Radio. You know, some of these... um, some of these stories just, um, they boggle the mind. One of the, one of the lead headlines that I have this morning is, um, <laughs> outgoing Democrat mayor pleads with Texas governor to stop sending migrants to Chicago. That outgoing mayor, of course, is Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot is pleading with Governor Greg Abbott of Texas to stop sending migrants to Chicago because it's dangerous and inhumane. In other words, border states like Texas and Mexico and Arizona, California, you should you should absorb them all. Don't let them leave your state. You pay for all of them. You pay for it. You deal with the crime they bring. You deal with the uh, the the financial hit that comes with with housing all of these people. You deal with it. I told you every state's a border state now, and whether. Greg Abbott or Ron DeSantis or somebody takes uh, illegal aliens and ships them to other places, or they do it on their own, they're coming, and they are absolutely taking over, like I said, schools, hospitals, resources that are necessary in every single state, and yes, that includes Northeast Ohio. Um, Greg, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Greg. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. You know, aren't sanctuary cities already skirting our uh, border laws and our, our uh, immigration laws. So we should just send them to every sanction, flood every sanctuary city with these illegal aliens. And there's nothing they can do about it. They they made their bed, now they can lie in it. Okay? And as far as this, uh, you know, you had mentioned international law and asylum laws, the laws set forth by the United Nations already dictate that you cannot flee a country and leapfrog countries to get to the United States. You have to go to the nearest uh, country that it will provide that asylum. Really right. Now, you know, the Democrats are, all, again, Biden's already 
thumbing his nose in, in the face of international law. So, yeah, maybe we, we can create our own asylum laws, but I don't know how that's going to stop the Democrats from just, you know, ignoring those laws. And as far as I'm concerned, Bob, this family's blood is on Joe. Uh, these five people have been shot or four people yeah. by this guy who should have been deported like four or five times that the news media, the crooked, corrupt media won't report on. That's right. The, the blood is on Joe Biden's hand. I don't disagree at all, my friend. Thank you so much for the call, Greg. Um, it's a tragedy down there, and it's a tragedy that it could have been avoided, and those are the worst kinds of tragedies if we only enforced our law. We'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420. The answer on this Monday, the first morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2023. We've been talking about um, illegal aliens. We've been talking about Title 42 coming to an end. We've been talking about the sacrificing of American sovereignty by a political class led by President Joe Brandon and his administration, including Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. And the hilarious part about this is the people that were, who are suffering the most, and, and this really is it's, it's hilarious and it's, it's, it's kind of funny at, at all at the same time. What I mean by that is it's laugh-out-loud funny in addition to uh, funny ironic. That the people that are suffering the most are the people who vote for Democrats in large urban American cities that declare themselves to be sanctuary cities. And they're also the people who vote for the administration that is making all this happen in President Joe Biden. Does that make sense? What's hilarious about this, both in a laugh-out-loud way and in a wow-how-wildly-ironic way, is that Democrats who voted for Joe Biden and who live in Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, San Francisco, the biggest cities in America that are all blue left-wing cities, they're the ones who are now complaining to the Democrats at the federal level to stop sending the illegal migrants there. That's what is just, I I love it. I I love the, the juicy irony of it, and yeah, it makes me laugh. And I'm sorry to say that for those who are not Democrats who live in those cities, but that's the, you know, that's the reality. It's a numbers game. I told you before the break that Lori Lightfoot is pleading with Governor Greg Abbott to stop sending migrants to Chicago. Well, Lori, Democrats voted for you in Chicago. Those same Democrats voted for Joe Biden. Joe Biden's policies directly impact what happens in your city. Why the hell should Greg Abbott, a Texas governor who Democrats largely did not vote for, why should he have to deal with your headaches? You created it. Your voters created it. You are essentially reaping um, what you have sown. Abbott started sending migrant buses to Chicago and New York City and uh, Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. Don't forget about Washington. 
in uh, in the fall in a response to obviously all of this you know this massive influx of of migrants crossing that border. So he's sending them directly to the places that say they welcome migrants who are illegal. They're sanctuary. They won't allow them to be turned over to ICE for deportation. They won't allow them to be turned over for deportation. They welcome them. Well, here they come by the busload, and now they're like, stop, too many. Well, what in the living hell do you expect? You made this happen, and now your Democrat voters are reaping the whirlwind. The city of Chicago has been responsible, according to Lightfoot, for the care of more than 8,000 people who had no resources of their own since the first buses arrived from Texas in August, adding that the number continues to grow. Let me pause there and say 8,000. Ha! I, I laugh at your complaints about 8,000. How many, how many tens of thousands do you think are hitting the cities in, on the southern border every single day? She wrote, Nearly all the migrants have been in dire need of food, water, and clothing, and many needed extensive medical care. Some of the individuals uh, that you placed on buses, she wrote in the letter to, uh, to Abbott, were women in labor and victims of, sex, victims of sexual assault. None of these urgent needs were addressed in Texas. These individuals and families were packed onto buses and shipped across the country like freight with, without regard to personal circumstances. Okay, Lori, again, you call yourself a sanctuary city mayor. What the hell do you think sanctuary means? You provide the food, the water, the clothing, and the extensive medical care that you believe these people need. That's what sanctuary is. It's not just a label. It's not just a tag so you can say, look at us virtue signaling. We, we provide sanctuary for those in need. Remember when Jim Kenney, the ridiculous mayor in Philadelphia, did that dance after coming out of a meeting with his council and agreeing that they'd be a sanctuary city? He did his little two-step dance and said, we're a sanctuary city, and actually sang like a little... <clears throat> you remember that? Yeah, I do too. Well, you want to be sanctuary, you just want the virtue signal. You just want the label to say, we are a proud sanctuary city. But when it comes time to provide sanctuary, which has a dollar figure attached to it, you don't want to do it. Mayor Eric Adams in uh, in New York, same thing. He's been very vocal, begging, and in fact, you know, challenging, if not ordering, uh, Governor Abbott to stop sending the people to New York. Wait a minute, you're a sanctuary city. You're a sanctuary city of 7.5 million people, and you can't handle a few uh, thousand migrants being added to that, uh, added to that total? I mean, it's, it's really, really, like I said, it's kind of hilarious, and it's also kind of ironic. It's funny in both of those ways. But i got to tell you, I find myself laughing a little bit, more, a little bit, a little bit harder at the, uh, uh, at the hilarity of it all, at the, at the funny part of it all, because you did this to yourself. And as you suffer, I just kind of smile. I do. I don't mean to take uh, uh, to delight or glee in anybody's misfortune. M- least of all, those who are migrants who are not the criminals, <clears throat> but those who have been urged and encouraged to come here by the Biden administration policies, by Alejandro Mayorkas, by Biden himself rolling out the red carpet. We are, uh, a, you know, a, 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 a sanctuary, if you will, for people to come who are in need around the country. That's why. Our, that's why our. Um, um, not our amnesty laws. That, that's why our asylum laws exist, to provide asylum or sanctuary to people who are fleeing persecution in other countries. You have encouraged them to come this way. Now they're here. And I feel bad for them because they bought your line. I feel bad for migrants who are here illegally, 
um, simply because they were taken in. They chose to cut the line. They chose not to just file for legal tra- travel to the United States. They didn't want to apply for their you know, legal status, so they, they cut the line. So I don't feel too much for them. I feel badly for the kids who were dragged along with them because they certainly had no uh, say in the matter. So this is about to get much, much worse. 216 If you did not hear the lead here, Title 42 ends in 10 days on May 11th. And according to the uh, immigration experts, uh, it is going to lead to a massive crush of humanity uh, pouring across the border and uh, and uh, coming into the United States since they do not have that COVID era protection anymore. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Let's go to Jan in Parma. Jan, thanks for waiting. You're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Fire away. Uh, hi, Bob. Uh, Parma is about to change tomorrow unless voters go out and vote against issue four. That is the only thing on the ballot, and uh, I was surprised when I got the first mailing. They they sent out four mailings pushing uh, issue four, and what they have changed, it was defeated. And I thought, oh, well, we settled that problem. We don't want one huge high school. with uh, So they, they modified it instead of uh, grade, grade 6 through 12 being at one school, and that's Parma. Parma Heights, and Seven Hills. They keep comparing our school system with uh, Strongsville or North Royalton. This is three communities, and they want, so that would be like 14 through 18 or 19-year-olds being in one place. And in this big, huge campus, uh, we would be subsidizing uh, off our free gym recreation centers for the general public and also invited into their space is a a wing of university hospitals there's a university hospital right in the middle of of parma and it's it's huge it was it's parma hospital but it's part of university and uh university that parma hospital university campus is where the, the wing is for transition, sexual transition surgery. Now, uh, I think they're, they're making this sound like this is good for students. And they brag about, oh, there's going to be 17 wonderful programs. The 17 wonderful programs are already in existence. We have some people working very, very hard to improve the schools. And the the two high schools... Uh, the, the other two. Now, Parma w- made the third one. Now, that's where they want to have one huge campus for grades uh, 9 through 12. So the two schools, the, the other, the existing high schools, would accommodate all the, uh, let's see, the uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th grades. And then, and then the, the uh, I guess, the primary, the they didn't really go into detail about how many schools would be left for primary grades. But, Bob, though, if you look at the border of Parma Heights and the border of Seven Hills and the Parma, for every 14 through 18 or 19-year-old to be in that school at the same time, the transportation is going to be outrageous. And they're, they're, they're bragging that instead of... Actually, right now they are using a Tri-C Western Campus for some of their programs, 
And now they they won't have to do that. They can have well, it's not it's not it's not that great an issue to have some kids transport transported to or just go to Tri C. That's that's using uh, we're also funding Tri C, and there are a bunch of private schools that people have chosen to send their kids to already, and they're they're saying, oh, this is our future. Well. Uh, the future isn't going to look that bright if uh, already 65% of our of property taxes go to uh, the schools, and this is going to be uh, well. Let's say on a average on an average home, it's going to add uh, average, not not a not a remodeled fancy, just a. Okay, Jan, I'm going to jump in here because we're going into a lot of different places here. We're, we're, we're hitting a lot of different things here, and, and you've already twisted and turned about six times, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what the end game is here. Can you, can you fast forward end to that game part? Is don't vote for it. It's okay. not in the interest of students. It's, it's the interest of having too much money for too big of a campus that isn't in the best interest of students. When you have, uh, they want to have the general public using the facility on off hours. And uh, it's just it's, uh, it's it's not in the in the best interest of students. It's in the best interest of people who believe in everything. Oh, yeah, I I knew that that phone was getting uh, bad there. The, the the static or interference was so it eventually dropped. Uh, but the, your point was made. I'm glad I fast forwarded to the end game here. He's saying for all of the above reasons, do not vote uh, for that for that levy. And uh, you know, not a lot of people are talking about these uh, elections tomorrow. Um, and and it is important. Um, the first election that is being held under our new voter ID law is tomorrow. That's a really interesting side note to the side story to this uh, election tomorrow as well. So I I do appreciate that. I appreciate your passion on that. Um, I do want to also get back to conversation on the border, which, of course, is uh, going to dominate the news, I think, over the course of the next two weeks, or at least the next 10 days until May 11th, and then shortly thereafter, as as we see the impact and the ramifications of that. So if you've got thoughts on that, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We've got a lot more to get into. Stay here on Always Right Radio. Ten twenty-five, Always Right Radio. So coming up, uh, just so you know, in about a little over half an hour, at uh, at the top of the next hour, we're going to talk with our friend, the politically uh, incorrect mechanic, uh, Charlie. Uh, who's got his auto body shop in Lakewood. And uh, I, I asked him to call me today to explain what in the living hell Lakewood is trying to do to its residents and its business owners. But from what I understand, the city of Lakewood is effectively going to put all repair garages out of business and pass uh, an, an overreaching ordinance um, that is going to limit parking, forced inspections, jail time for anybody breaking any section of the ordinance. I, you know, it's funny. We we get occasionally we get a call from a uh, a Flakewood resident who, um, and I call it Flakewood because it's you know got a whole lot of people like that in it who call um, who are just so far out there. Honestly, it's just there's it's just an easy way to say it. But I but I have to wonder how it is and why it is that the city would. Would would treat its residents and its business owners so 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 horrifically to the point where it might drive them out of the out of the city. I know a lot of cities that are suffering in Northeast Ohio that would love to have good businesses come in and move in, 
Because when they generate more more income and revenue, they generate more taxes for the city. Why is Lakewood trying to drive businesses out of the city? It makes no sense to me. I live in a city in which businesses have been crumbling. Businesses are going under faster than you can can even imagine, and we're begging for new businesses to want to come in to try to, you know, like I said, increase the uh, uh, the revenue and the tax base and so forth. And it's a it's a bizarre thing. So we're going to talk to Charlie about that after the top of the hour at about eleven oh five. Dan is in Middleburg Heights. Dan, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Fire away, sir. Uh, good morning. Uh, I've talked about this with you before, and I agree everything you say on this immigration. You know, and our problems in our country. Mm-hmm. And Bob, we're really in a huge problem here. You could well. We can never reverse what's happening now, because I know we live in 2023. But the Constitution originally had senators being appointed by the House of Representatives and the president being appointed by the Electoral College, not direct voting by the people. Mm-hmm. We can't change it now. You can't impeach anybody because you got a corrupt Senate who takes money from people outside of their states. And I got a president that you can't impeach because he controls the judicial department and you can't remove him because of all the people in the Senate who are corrupt. So even if the House wanted to impeach him, he'd never get convicted. So it's endless. And I don't know how we get out of this unless you change what I just told you back to the original Constitution. Well, I don't know that I would want to change it, Dan, um, because, you know, if it was, uh, Donald Trump would have been booted, what, a year into his first term? Uh, when was that right. first? He, he possibly may not have been picked, okay, because of his personality, okay? Nonetheless, originally in the country, the first six presidents were nominated by congressional House of Representatives caucuses. They, they didn't go through what we're doing now. And that's what I'm trying to make a point. And you keep arguing the other way, which you have a right to, but it's, it's just wrong. You can, if you read Madison and all the original founders, they said this is an appointee system, not an election system. But in their words, in the 18th century, election and appointment were synonymous. Well, you understand but, what I'm saying? I, I do, Dan, but here's the thing, and thank you for the phone call, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. When we elect our representatives to then cast their votes, their electoral votes, on our behalf, um, it, it is an appointment. They are appointing them, but they are listening to us by way of our elections. Um, and, and that's why, you know, every elector actually has the ability to do what they want. You know this. In the Electoral College, uh, it has become tradition and expected that every elector will indeed cast their vote based on the uh, outcome of the vote in their particular states and in their particular districts and so forth. But they don't have to. They don't have to. If they wanted to go rogue, they could and do an appointment uh, and, 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 and you know cast their electoral ballot for someone else. They can do that. But it's just that we haven't done that because we have come to accept um, you know, the, the, the election system that we have to feed the electoral system of the, elector, of the Electoral College. So, but to the point about uh, impeachment, you know, it should be that difficult. I, I'm going to just have to disagree there. It should be that difficult. As much as I would like to have an easy impeachment system to remove Joe Biden because he is completely incompetent and because he is completely corrupt, as much as I would love to do that, if I did that, if I adopted that system, or as you say, go back to the original founder's intent, if we made it that way, 
then we would lose really good, strong presidents anytime the opposite party wants to do that, too. Including what, you know, they, they impeached Trump twice, for crying out loud. He was not convicted, as we know the story, but uh, that's what they would do, and I'm not willing to sacrifice that. So I, I get your points, I do, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a give and a take here, and sometimes we have to give a little bit of ground in order to make sure that we can, you know, take, uh, take advantage of, 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 of the positive aspects of it, particularly when it's a president that we like. Okay, uh, thank you, my friend. It's 10.30. We'll come back. Uh, come right back after this on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. 1036 now. Hey, um, do you want to hear what communism sounds like? Just in case you're interested. This is what communism sounds like. Sir, you're saying that billionaires should not exist. So you're, are you basically saying that once you get to right. 999 million dollars that the government should confiscate all the rest i'm saying that we should go back to a very progressive tax policy like what we had under dwight d which would mean that that over a billion dollars basically it all goes to the government you may disagree with me but i'm I'm just asking fine yeah i think people can make it on 900 you know 99 million dollars sir you're Bernie Sanders, self-described democratic socialist, is calling for a cap on earnings and that anything over that cap goes directly to the government. And I don't care that it's $999 million. I'm never going to have $999 million, and the odds are pretty good that you aren't either. But there are some people with companies and corporations that do And he says that anything over $999 million should be the property of the government. The government confiscates that wealth. No more for you. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong with such a policy? Other than the fact that this is straight-up communism as it is, who can see down the road just a little further? Today, if such a law were to be passed promoted by a radical, socialist, communist like Bernie Sanders that says any dollar over $999 million belongs to the government. Next year, that cap lowers to what? $900 million? Next year, that cap lowers to what? $750 million? By the time they're done, once it has been established that a government can indeed confiscate all dollars over a certain cap, that a, a, a corporate owner, a business owner, or an individual uh, can make, then that cap becomes subject to what? Negotiation. And eventually, that cap gets lowered to the point where it starts to impact more and more American, not individuals, but the businesses they own, the jobs they create the revenue that they produce, 
the goods and services they, they provide. This is just, it's, it's striking to me every time I hear somebody say it out loud. And you, he just said it out loud. Yes, over a bi- anything over a bi- uh, in the billions, anything over nine hundred ninety nine million goes to the government. How much is Elon Musk worth right now? What do we What do we find out? It was It was at least a couple hundred billion to the point where he could spend fifty billion, I think it was, or forty four billion or whatever the number was on Twitter, and still have you know a couple hundred billion left. Again, not that he would go broke if we started, but according to what. Bernie Sanders says a guy like that makes over a billion dollars. Anything over nine hundred ninety-nine million goes to the government. To do what? To do what? To be wasted. To be poured into pet projects and crap that this already bloated federal budget has absolutely no need for. Why do you want to kill capitalism? All for the purpose of lining people like your pockets. They literally want to kill capitalism. Your earning potential has a cap. It's limited. Maybe that's what he thinks the cap in capitalism is. It means you can't make over a certain amount before we start taking your money. Because we will do better with your money than you ever could. When is the last time the federal government spent our dollars better than you could? Every year I pay my tax bill, or every quarter, and I pay my tax bill, and I think to myself, I could put this money to so much better use than the government ever could. But nope, I've got to give it to them. And I'm not talking, I don't want to go too too deep into the tax question, but just the idea, just wanted you to know, this is what socialists believe. This is what socialists and communists believe, that capitalism is, is a fantasy, that capitalism is evil, that capitalism should not be allowed, not unchecked, uncontrolled capitalism, which, by the way, is the only kind of capitalism, that people should have a cap on how much they can make and the rest goes to the government. That's astounding. And to do what? To do what? To further subjugate the people that you took the money from. Exactly. A government that would take a person's money because they think that person has too much of it is a government that does not like that person. A government that would confiscate your wealth hates you for having that wealth. What do you think they're going to do when they take your wealth? They're going to use it to what? Uplift you? Help you? No. They're going to use that to further subjugate you. They're going to use that to further harm you, to limit you so that you can't even think about doing something so drastic again, such as earn more revenue, make more money. Just... What country is this? Sally is in Berea next. Hi, Sally. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go, go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I'm just wondering, since it's widely recognized that May 11th will be a, a disaster, a national emergency, could Governor Abbott call up the National Guard to um, block some of it at least? Probably not. I know that... Um he and uh, the governor in Arizona, they had like kind of started to patch up some of the holes in the existing wall that were built, uh, that was built, I should say. Obviously, it's not enough. And there was a big dispute about whether they can even do that with their state funds. So if they, if they, and I don't remember exactly how it came out, but, but I, but I don't think they can. I think the federal border, um, 
supersedes, if you will, the state border, even though they are one and the same. Um, and so I, I think they were stopped from using using state money to do anything with the border patrol or border wall or anything else. So if they can't use money for that, they probably can't use guardsmen either. That's unfortunate. But I like the idea, though. Yeah, I mean, if they're not going to do it, we have to do it ourselves. I mean, I think it was Abbott who started. Um, no, maybe this was maybe this was uh, Ducey in Arizona. But one of them started building makeshift walls with um, with freight containers, you know, like you know, a, a semi tractor trailer uh, containers, uh, and just started stacking them up and kind of building a makeshift wall out of those things to stop people. And I think they had to stop doing that as well. So, uh, but yeah, I like the idea that the state governors want to try to do something, or at least some of them anyway. That would never happen in Arizona now with uh, uh, with um, Katie Hobbs there, but uh, but with Governor Abbott, you know, uh, I, I think he's trying to do everything he can to help save the people of Texas all of the headache that comes with unchecked immigration. But but I don't think that they could use their guards their guardsmen for that. Thanks, Bob. You got it. Thank you, Sally. I appreciate it. And if somebody, by the way, has knowledge of that, that I'm wrong. Tell me. I, I'm more than happy to correct that. That's my answer. I don't know if it's the right answer, but I do believe that there are some limitations that state governors. Uh, have placed upon them that stop them from from interfering with or enacting anything that involves federal law. Uh, Bob is in West Park next. Hi, Bob. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hi there. The federal government, our federal government, uh, let's go, Brandon's government lies to us with their statistics. They claim that they've got the unemployment down, that uh, the number of homeless people has decreased, the number of people who have homes has increased, and that's a lie because we have 10,000 illegals, and I'm not going to call them migrants. They're illegals crossing the border every day. So if you add that up, well, we got another million jobless people in America now and homeless people because they don't have a job, they don't have a home. When they come here, all they have is the clothes on their back. Well, yeah, that's the reason why these um, these big city Democrat mayors are complaining right now, because you're right. They come there with only the clothes on their back, and they're in need of food, clothing, shelter, medical care, and education. And guess who has to pay for all of those things? You do. I do. The taxpayers do. The taxpayers do. And they say that uh, the uh, the job jobless numbers are down, unemployment numbers are down. That's a lie. They lie to us with their statistics. <laughs> It's just like back in the day when I was a shortwave listener and I used to listen to Radio Havana, Cuba, and it tells about uh, the people that have jobs and the people that have homes and how much wheat and barley and rice and everything mm-hmm. they grow. You know, it was all propaganda that they were supposed to be so prosperous. And they lied to us. They, t- they tell us that uh, the unemployment figures are down. How can that be? When you have 10,000 a day, now that's not just in one place. Okay, you got 3,000 here, 2,000 there, sure. 5,000 there, sure. and it adds up to at least 10,000 a day, a day. And they're not immigrants. They're not illegal immigrants. They are illegals, period. They're illegal. Like that guy in Texas, in Cleveland, Texas, whose family next door complained about him shooting his rifle so close to their house. Mm-hmm. So what's he do? He goes over there and he kills everybody. And then they want gun laws. Well, if he's an illegal, how does he pass a background check to buy the firearm? And if he doesn't work, where do he get the money to buy it? 
they passed well, laws well, against you know, Americans. I mean, what, we, we let, let's not let's not um, gloss over the fact that it's not just illegal aliens who come across that border. It's also illegal items like weapons. Guns come across that border. Drugs come across that border. Human beings get smuggled across that border. So I don't know if you bought it at a at a local uh, shop or if you got it illegally, but that's, of course, the point. We can enact all of the gun bans we want, and it's not going to stop criminals from getting guns because there is there are very, it's just like we ban drugs, but yet people get their hands on drugs. So you're right. It's about the people, and it's about, you know, and you're right to not call them migrants, uh, although some of them may be. They are illegal migrants, and, you know, the actual vernacular in U.S. law, is illegal aliens. Some people see that as a pejorative. I don't care. But it is illegal aliens, and when they come over here and harm people, and whether they harm American citizens or other illegals, because there's some speculation that the family that he shot up down there in Cleveland, Texas, um, was also here illegally. And I don't care. It doesn't matter. Well, the point is he came over here and started killing people uh, because he was drunk and uh, and mad that they were telling him to, to stop shooting his gun in his yard. So the bottom line is these people would not be dead right now, just like how many other victims of illegal alien crimes in this country would not have been victimized if we actually took that border seriously. We're being invaded. And they say, well, they don't have any weapons. Their bodies and their numbers is the weapon. What they're doing is they're overwhelming us to where we're going to be poor like them. If they want to change anything, change the place where they came from. Make it better for them to stay. A hundred percent. And that, and that's what, you know, as, as much as. As much as what, and, and, and thank you for the call, Bob. I'm going to let you go there so we can get a, a time out here in a moment. But I want to say this. As much of a cop-out as it was for Biden to name Kamala Harris, giggles herself, the border czar, um, and it was a cop-out for her to go and say, well, we're not going to deal with the actual problem at the border. We're going to go deeper inside, you see. We're going to go down and we're going to talk to the, the leaders of those other countries where these people are coming from. We're going to get to the root problem, the root cause, the root source of this massive uh, migrant movement, right? That's what she said. As much of a cop-out as that was, because she didn't do a damn thing and nothing, there's been no abatement whatsoever of this, this massive crush of humanity, this invasion, as the caller just said. There is something to it. It's just that it's not our business, and it's not our ability to change how they govern themselves in those other countries. But there is something to it. There is a root cause, and the root cause is, is just quite simply that those nations suck. Donald Trump called them blank hole countries. He was right. Nobody liked him for saying it. Nobody's going to like that I said those nations suck for people to live in. But they do. They do. It's a sucky, miserable existence in many of those countries. And then looking at the glory and the majesty and the wealth and the prosperity and the glitz and the glamour of the United States, people, of course, they want to come here. But if we don't stop people who live in countries that suck from breaking our laws and coming here because it's better, what are they going to turn this country into? They're going to turn it into a country that sucks. And I'm sorry to be blunt, and I'm sorry to be graphic, but that's the reality of it. The reason our country doesn't suck like so many of those others is because of our foundational principles. And yes, because of our sovereignty. 
and the right to run our countries in a better way, to promote capitalism, to promote opportunity, to promote freedom that so many other countries don't have. And while it would be nice to say we had unlimited resources, it would be nice for us to have unlimited space, unlimited housing, unlimited all of the above, so everybody who is living in a nation around the globe that sucks can come and live in a place that doesn't suck. The reality is we don't have those things. We don't have unlimited space. We don't have unlimited food. We don't have unlimited jobs. We don't have unlimited resources. We don't have unlimited medical care. We don't have unlimited space in our schools. We have to limit people to the people that are here, that are born here, that are citizens here, and the people that respect this country enough to request permission to come here through legal channels and to wait their turn in line because those people, when they come here, will continue to keep this country on its glorious path, a glorious path, and it will. They will not want to turn this country into a country like the one they came from that sucked. Anybody who wants to come to this country because their country sucks and ours doesn't but is willing to break our laws to get here, does not deserve the glorious opportunity that this country provides. Do it legally and watch us continue to be the welcoming people that we are. Do it illegally and watch how fast we want to kick your sorry ass back out. I'll be right back. Eleven fifty-six. Quick story here before the top of the hour, <clears throat> and before we uh, come back after the top of the hour with our friend Charlie, who's going to tell us a Lakewood story that uh, you're going to want to hear. Uh, I'm still trying to make sense of it myself, but uh, quick story for you here. Do you know what today is? In addition to being the first day of May and May Day and all the all that stuff, you know what else today is? Today is the first day that you, as a responsible homeowner, a responsible, um, um consumer with a high credit score it's the day that you start paying more for your own responsibility for being responsible you are about to be penalized starting today did you know that because today is the day that joe biden's new new bill goes into effect or his new policy goes into effect you know the one that punishes good credit risks so that they can subsidize Bad credit risks. Who want to buy homes? It's a fantastic thing, right? I mean, it says you worked your whole life to build a good credit credit score. You pay off your bills on time. You don't overextend yourself. You don't buy things that are wants and not needs if you cannot afford them. And so you've got a good credit rating, and you applied for your own home loan, and you got a really good rate, and you took advantage of that, and you're doing well. And now, well, now it all comes to an end because now, because of your responsible spending practices and your responsible handling of your own debt, your responsible repayments of your own loans on your home and on your car and so on and so forth, your revolving credit debt, because of that, now you pay the price. And that is what has led state treasurers from 27 different states to send a message to Joe Biden saying that this is unconscionable. Do not enact this policy that forces people like you with good credit scores to subsidize mortgage loans of high-risk borrowers who are not good credit risks so that they can get into homes. 
The plan was outlined a few weeks ago. I told you about it. The Federal Housing Agency set to take effect today. It helps lower-income borrowers afford their monthly mortgage payments by you spending more money to back them. It forces people with good credit scores to pay more each month for their mortgages, extra payments that would be credited to the loans of higher-risk borrowers. Did I mention earlier on something about communism when I talked about Bernie Sanders? I mean, honestly, I don't know if this fits in the exact definition of communism, but taking from people who have done well and can afford their mortgages, taking money from them to give it to other people so they can use uh, pay for their mortgages, it sounds like redistribution of wealth. It sounds a little bit like collectivism. It sounds a little bit like we're going to take more from those who have and give it to those who have not at our discretion, at our whim. And at the same time, it will incentivize you into not making all of your payments on time. Got to hurt my credit score a little bit. Open up a few more cards, anything. Check my credit score score more often. All those things that ding you a few points so that you get down under what what they consider to be a great credit score so they can stop taking money away from you to give it to people who are high risks. I mean, does this not smell just like the CRA from the Clinton administration? Does this not sound like the Community Reinvestment Act that forced banks to give risky loans to people that had no possible way of paying back those loans? So they have to get the money from whom? From you, of course. And that's exactly what they're doing here. It's just that they're doing it out in front. We can talk more about that if you wish at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. It's Always Right Radio right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday. It's the first morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Don't they call that May Day? Is it, is, is it still called May Day? Is that a thing? First day of May, for some reason, they call it May Day. Do they call it, how come they don't call it April 1st, April Day? Well, they call it April Fool's Day. How about June 1st, June Day? I don't get it. But it's May Day, so happy May Day. Okay, yeah. Happy May Day. So I live in a city um, that is um, not, not doing well. All right. It's a very, very blue city. I'm not saying it is specifically not well because of its blue leadership, but it is what it is. It is a town that is decaying. You drive downtown, 
You see boarded up buildings. You see businesses that went under all up and down your right and your left. If you drive down Broad Street, you look around and you just see, um, you know, a mess. You do. You just see you see a, what was once a thriving city that has devolved into a a disaster. Um, I was driving downtown Illyria a couple of weeks back. I don't remember why. I think I was going to see my wife at her job or something because she works down there. And I, I was just I drove slowly through. And I was just looking to my right, and I see a little dive bar, and then an empty shop, empty shop, empty shop. I look to my left, and I see empty shop, empty shop, um, strip club, (laughs) speakeasy, empty shop, empty shop. And, And that's just in the downtown area. In the north side of town, which used to be thriving, particularly over by the mall, oh, my goodness, it looks like a ghost town. There's massive shopping, you know, strip malls and shopping centers that are empty, 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 small little business, empty, 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 all over the place on both sides of uh, of uh, of the road. Um, it's just a disaster. They can't get businesses to stay open. They can't get businesses to come and relocate. They lose businesses. It's just been a disaster. That's my city. I'm not proud of it. And I'm not saying that I have the answers to it. I just know that it's dying, and I would think that if I was running a city as a mayor or a member of council, I would do everything I can to support the businesses that were still in existence. I would do everything I can to make life easier for them so they stay here, so they stay profitable, so they continue to generate revenue, so they continue to generate jobs, so they continue to generate taxes for the city. I would do everything I could. I wouldn't do anything to try to drive businesses out of town. It would just seem counterintuitive, counterproductive. But that's just how I see it, and that's just with my own personal experience in the city in which I live. I want to bring Charlie in now. Charlie Kalani is the politically incorrect mechanic who runs uh, Charlie's Auto Shop in uh, Auto Repair in Lakewood. Not in Elyria, but in Lakewood, because Charlie has got a story to tell. And it's a story that is just kind of in its infancy, as I understand it, and I'll let him kind of explain what's going on there. But it sounds like the people or the leadership of Flakewood don't see things the way that I do. They don't think that there's uh, a point to keeping your local businesses that are in town happy, keeping them productive, keeping them employing people, keeping them generating revenue and taxes. As a matter of fact, they're willing to get rid uh, and run some of them out of town. Charlie, good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me on this morning. Um, and you, you know that you nailed definitely nailed one aspect of it there. You know, the city, all they talk about is how uh, they want to support local businesses and small businesses and things of that nature. Uh, and then they turn around and conduct themselves in the complete opposite manner, and this is just another more evidence of that. Um, tonight on the agenda for city council is ordinance number 10-2023, whereas they want to implement uh, a new section of the ordinances called automobile operations. Automobile operations conclude, uh, includes any business that repairs, sells, rents, we have an enterprise rent-a-car in the city, uh, or leases motor vehicles, installs equipment, performs other work on motor vehicles. So, you know, you got somebody that just does radios or whatever. 
uh, trucks, motorhomes, recreational vehicles, other uh, engines, other components. So they want to. So that now you're going to get into your people that uh, repair lawnmowers and stuff like that. Uh, and what this does is basically it's, it's something that's nearly impossible to comply with. And if you attempt to comply with it, it would limit your business so bad that it would be impossible to function. Um, one of the things they want to do here, they, you know, they, they've got stuff in here that seems seemingly, you know, benign, like they want us to, um, put in wastewater oil separators and sand separators, which, you know, is going to involve digging up the sewer system. Mm-hmm. It's going to be massively inconvenient. It's going to cost a lot of money. They're not going to pay for it. I got to pay for it. And then that's going to open up another new can of worms when the, when they come in to inspect everything. Uh, but the, some of the, 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 and the more, the more I read this, the more I get into it, the worse it gets. They want, uh, no access to public parking in the city of Lakewood anymore for these automobile business operations. Now you tell me how it is legal to say, because you engage in this type of legal, legitimate business, you and your customers and your employees are not, don't have access to public parking spaces. Um, despite paying property tax, despite paying city income tax, but everybody else, because they're not an automotive repair garage or one of these other businesses, is perfectly has every right to the public parking areas. Um, so before, before you go on, the, before you go on, Charlie, and yeah, before you tell ahead, me more about me what's going on, on here, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> did has, have those questions been asked by anybody prior to what's going to happen tonight? Because everything you're asking deserves a very simple answer. Why particularly are these businesses being targeted while other businesses are not? And what well, is the reason so, for this? Did they, did they notice some sort of, you know, massive infrastructure problem with the sewer system that would require such things like this? I mean, are they, are they finding a, a solution for a problem that doesn't exist? Is that, what, is that what's happening? Well, see, the sewer systems and everything are already governed by the U.S. EPA and the Ohio EPA. So they're, they're the ones that make rules for, for stuff like this. This is just, this, this is, you know, I, I think this is just insult to injury uh, from what I can see. But, uh, there, the, the, the section of the agenda that this information can be found on, on the city of Lakewood's, uh, website where the city council tab is, uh, for May 1st, uh, begins with a letter from our wonderful mayor, uh, which leads me to believe that she had a hand in writing this up. And some of the letter includes uh, Lakewood is one of the most densely populated cities in Ohio, and as a result, has limited access to on-street parking when not properly managed. Automobile-related businesses, no, no, nobody else, no other businesses, by the yeah. way, uh, can have unintended negative impacts on the surrounding community. Now, you've you've been here uh, on a Monday mm-hmm. uh, when when the a certain pizza shop across the street has buy one get one. Yeah. How's how's the parking situation look over there to you? That's a great uh, question. But they're not an automotive repair garage, so it doesn't matter. Uh, businesses that do not properly maintain their outdoor parking and storage areas can harm the character and sur- of surrounding residential districts and negatively impact property values. 
So basically what they're saying is, that due to Lakewood's density, there's an ongoing struggle to balance the parking needs of both residential and commercial districts. So because of the way the city was constructed and engineered from the beginning, where they stacked as many people in the city as possible so that they could collect as much city income tax as possible from each individual, where the city was originally designed and constructed with a rail car system, if you cut open these main streets, you're going to see tracks because there used to be streetcars. It's our fault. Mm-hmm. It's the shops, it's the mechanics, it's the yeah. automotive repair garages yeah. fault that there's no parking. So let me let it's me not look the city's forward fault to... for approving new businesses constantly in the same areas. It's not, it's mine. Yeah. Um so let me leap forward a little bit here. Have you coordinated with, discussed, talked to any other auto shops, uh repair shops, et cetera, body shops, anybody else uh you know I've, here to, to, to unify? I've, I've been in touch with yep, I've been in touch with the majority of automotive repair garages and, and bob i just found out about this we, we found out about this by accident on saturday uh another lakewood resident who is very engaged in the politics of the city who actually lives here uh called to ask me if i knew about this because he stumbled upon it because one of the things lakewood another thing Lakewood's trying to do is pass some green resolution where they're saying they're gonna try and make lakewood a zero emissions city by 2050 or something nonsense like that um that's a resolution this is an actual ordinance okay this is actual law um and and i i can't tell you i mean i i slept like garbage over this weekend because i can't stop thinking about this um so the the sewer business that's that's just one that's that's not even close to the the main uh you know issue here uh after they convict can can uh, kick us off of the from the public parking and and make it illegal for my customers to have access to public parking. Uh, then they want to tell me what I can do on my private property parking lot and everybody else. Uh, and now, instead of being able to park as many cars on there as you have space for, uh, they want to limit actual parking spaces to one for every 250 square feet of floor space devoted to automotive repair. That means if you have a shop like we do, our shop is about five bays, so it's roughly 1,000 to 1,200 square feet, we get four parking spaces, maybe five, on our own property. And they have so, to be and what, would that, what would that do to your business, Charlie? It would decimate. It would decimate anybody's business, not just mine. It would decimate all of us. Um, you, you'd, you'd go under. Right, because you wouldn't I, be able I, well, to. You would not be able to box. generate. Yeah, you would not be able to generate the revenue you needed to stay open if if they took all of that space away from you, limited the number of cars, and can, you can sit there and wait to be repaired and so on and so forth. All of those well, things. Are, so basically, you they're this? saying, yeah, I have, I have, we we have four people that work out of this building and a tow truck, and we're not allowed to use public parking anymore because employees are part of that. Restriction, restriction from using public parking. That is incredible. That is so impossible. explain to me where my customers' cars are supposed to go. Right. right. Oh, put them, put them inside. That is. Uh, so I'm supposed to work remarkable. on one or two cars a day. So let's let's uh, let's go back to uh, tonight now, uh, because now that we've yeah. outlined the problem and some of the you know uh, some of the explanation of what the uh, results are going to be, the consequences are going to be. Tell me, well, wait till you hear the penalties what, if you violate these consequences, these 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 things. Oh Lord. Go ahead. Um, 
So on top of this, they want us to submit to a permit program where we have to purchase a permit every year in order to operate, but that permit is conditional upon inspections, upon any uh, not violating any aspect of this, uh, this ordinance that they want to put on. And yeah. if you violate any aspect of this ordinance, they can walk in and shut you down without any due process. They can, they can suspend the permit for up to 30 days. Not only that, okay, not only that, if they, when it goes, if then, then after that it goes into the court where the actual citation is issued and you have to appear in front of the judge. If you're found to have violated any part of this ordinance, now you're subject to first offense, a fourth degree misdemeanor of 30 days in jail and a $250 fine. First offense. <laughs> Second is 60, third is 90, and then it stays 90 from that point on. Remember I said it gets worse yeah. the more you read into it? Yeah, you did. You did. And and it is. Um, okay, so so let's go let's go so, to tonight. There's a council meeting tonight. Yeah. And tell me what's happening. There is a city council meeting tonight at seven thirty. Um I have every intention of speaking. I know several auto other automotive garages that I've spoken to uh plan on going down there. So and you know, I, I just and I've already and I've also talked to a, a couple of attorneys on the matter um well who are i hope i hope you get a, as i am i hope you get a legion of you know uh, of of car repair and shop owners to go down i hope you get a legion of customers of yours to go down yeah. i hope you get i hope you i mean is the city of lakewood just i mean declaring itself to just be anti-business or anti a particular type of business or do you, uh, think you know it, um, do you think they, any of this is personal because you're not exactly um you know quiet about your, you know, about what you do. I you're believe. very politically active. You're a member of the Central Committee and so forth. So you're, 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 you're a very outspoken guy. Do you think any of this is directed at you politically? Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I mean, as I was reading it, it's, it, you know, because I, I know we, you know, we keep a lot of vehicles on our lot. I know our, our, our space isn't the prettiest looking space in the city of Lakewood, but to this, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not about us. It, this is about the automotive repair industry as a whole. And off the top of my head this morning, I counted 14 uh, shops within the city of Lakewood, and that includes corporate places like Midas and Conrad's and Mr. Tire, yeah. uh, Take Five Oil Changes, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, all businesses that would that, – that and the rest are mostly family-owned small business garages. Um, you know, those other places, they might be able to comply with this, uh, you know, to a degree – but, you know, what's going to happen? Well, it's Somebody's like a lot of shops. Start? It's like a lot of stores. You know, the mom and pop shops are the ones that get hit right. hardest by heavy-handed, you know, uh, edicts like this. You know, the big corporate stores and the chain stores can 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 survive these kinds of things. But but it's going to put, you know, shops like yours out of business. It's going to push, put a, I don't even know how many others. You said there are 14 shops. I don't know how many of them could withstand these kinds of things, particularly if they do these spot inspections and find, oh, something's not in compliance, and boom, your 30-day shutdown uh, immediately, like you said, First offense, no due right. process. So it's going to drive businesses from, out. Go ahead. Now somebody from the pizza place or, or a coffee shop or the bar comes over and parks there, uh, go into another business. Our, sh- our let's say our, our, our parking lot's empty, right? We got we're we're all following li- following in line. Somebody parks their car in front of the garage door at ten o'clock at night, and a building inspector that just happens to live a couple blocks away decides he's going to walk over and check on 
uh, Charlie's and Kalani's and see how things are going over there. And he takes pictures and he starts doing this every, every few days. He comes over and takes pictures of cars parking on the property at nighttime and then takes them and gives them to the prosecutor and the building department. Now I got to go to jail because I got strangers parking on my lot yeah, at without permission, without permission. And, and, mm. and Bob, you might think I'm exaggerating about this, but they about 10 years ago. They, they had already, they already did that. That's the reason I asked Charlie if this was personal because I know I know they've done that and I know your your history there uh, so I get it but yeah. they're just specifically targeting your your industry your you know businesses who do what you do and I don't know how much of it is personal with you or not but I uh, I can't wait to see what happens with this meeting tonight I hope you are able to like I said generate enough support from Lakewood residents and Lakewood other business owners who are going to back you and support you in this because this is this is ridiculous it's anti business um, quite frankly it's anti American government I mean, overreach it is exactly that it is exactly that it's giant government run amok to try to 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 crush the small businessman and maybe simply because of ideological differences i know we can't prove that but that's just what i'm thinking uh charlie i hope you um i hope you're successful this evening uh give us a report back tomorrow and let us know how it goes okay thanks bob i appreciate it thank you charlie that's Charlie Kalani. He runs uh, Charlie's Auto Repair in Lakewood, and um, he does a terrific job. And uh, he and many others like him, his business, are in serious jeopardy because of decisions being made by Lakewood's mayor and Lakewood's uh, uh, city council. It's just incomprehensible why you would want to do that to small businesses. Like I said, I live in a city where small businesses are going under at an extraordinarily rapid rate. It's terrible the number of empty storefronts and boarded-up buildings that we have in my city. I would love to have people open up businesses. I wouldn't be driving them out the way they're trying to do in Lakewood. We'll be back after the break. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Yeah, not going to be a huge turnout tomorrow. It's 11.38, by the way. Final segment of Always Right Radio for this Monday. Not going to be a huge turnout tomorrow, obviously, considering the fact that um, there's you know very few ballot uh, initiatives and items on there. Cuyahoga County has... Four school districts that have bond issues or property tax increases or renewals on the ballot. Um, Lake County, two school districts, just Kirtland and Willoughby East Lake. Lorain County, there are levies um, in a few districts, as well as votes for mayor in Lorain and Sheffield Lake. School districts are Mapleton, Midview, and North Ridgeville. They've got levy or tax issues. Elyria residents uh, have an income tax increase vote. Medina County, Wadsworth, going to decide whether or not they get a new mayor after the mayor approved uh, and city council approved uh, uh, that drag show uh, in the uh, park downtown. Let's see. Uh, Police and firefighter levies. I won't go into all of these or in the surrounding counties. My point to this is very, very low turnout expected, but it is going to be the first uh, vote that the state of Ohio has held with the new rules regarding voter identification. So that's a big deal. It'll be very interesting to see how this whole thing turns out, to see if there are any problems. Again, very small numbers, so probably won't be, but I just wonder what kinds of uh, drama that we can expect <clears throat> Excuse me, 
what kind of drama we could expect from the results of that vote. Now, going back to uh, one of the last stories that I shared with you, and first of all, to Charlie Kalani and his team uh, of, of well, I say his team, his friends and other supporters and business members and business leaders and so on in Lakewood. I hope you could show up tonight on Moss and really teach them and tell them what it means uh, to be business friendly and, and underscore the financial ramifications, the revenue, the tax revenue that they're going to be forfeiting, the jobs that they're going to be killing, uh, you know, the businesses that they're going to be killing. It's just, just it's unbelievable. It's un- the story that Charlie just told is something that everybody in Lakewood should heed, and I certainly hope anybody outside of Lakewood um, would, who has an interest in this might uh, generate and, and show their support as well. But, but all of that having been said, um, I want to I want to hit one of the last stories that I talked about before Charlie come, Charlie came on, and that is the mortgage story that starts today. The mortgage policy, the new Biden administration policy policy that says take from the rich, and it's not even rich. This hits the middle class. This is this is going to hit the middle class more than it, than it is anybody else. But it's take from the the haves, the responsibles, if you will, and give to the have-nots or the irresponsible. Ultimately, that's what this this whole policy is, which we discussed and described, uh, like I said, about a half an hour ago. Today is the middle, the start of the middle class tax hike that will unfairly cost you, your family, and American families like yours untold millions of dollars collectively at a time when the real estate market is already shrinking because of the extraordinarily high interest rates now they want to take more money from you by raising your payments if you are good credit risk. If you have good credit and have been responsible, I said this before, I don't want to repeat the whole mantra, but if you've been responsible enough to have a good credit score and you apply for a home loan and you agree to X as being your you know down payment and Y as being your monthly mortgage payment, now you're going to add another maybe 40, 50, 60 bucks to every single one of those so that somebody on the other side of town who's a lousy credit risk, who has a terrible credit score, who isn't going to be able to get a good loan from a bank, if a loan at all, so that they can get their loan and they can get into their house. That's, it's, it's literally upside down. It's literally, like I said before, it's, it's, it's collectivism. It is redistribution of wealth. Or in this case, redistribution of of credit points, if you will, uh, so that irresponsible, low-income people can get into homes. You have to pay more for yours. This uh, has led to 27 different states. I mentioned this earlier. Just brief follow-up on it. State treasurers and other top finance officials from 27 different states uh, are urging President Biden to stop this unconscionable policy. The state officers blasted the plan for turning the normal system of home buying incentives upside down, hurting people who make sound financial decisions. Quote, the policy will take money away from the people who played by the rules and did things right, including millions of hardworking middle class Americans who built good credit scores and saved enough money to make a strong down payment. Incredibly, those who make down payments of 20 percent or more in their homes will pay the highest fees one of the most backward incentives imaginable, because as you know, the incentive to put a bigger down payment down is so that you can have a smaller monthly and pay smaller, uh, you know, lower interest. 
That's the reason you want a, a bigger down payment. So people who have saved and scrimped and instead of, you know, hey, we got 40 bucks here, want to go to the movies? Nah, let's drop it in the jar. Let's drop it in the down payment so that when we go to buy our house, we'll, we'll have a bigger down payment. And they do that for a period of years, and suddenly they've got a good 10, 15, 20% or, or more to put down on their house. And now, in order, in, instead of benefiting from that sacrifice, you actually have to pay more because you put more down on your home. Wait, what? Yeah, that's what they've done. Forced extra payments will be used to hand out, quote, better mortgage rates to people with lower credit ratings. Others have said the plan would make it easier for people with shaky credit histories to afford more expensive mortgages, a move that would put more people at financial risk and would take us right back to the recession of 2008 and 2009 because of the Community Reinvestment Act. Forcing banks to make bad loans to bad risks, knowing they weren't going to get their money back. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Brandon administration. We'll probably talk more about that tomorrow with personnel because of the fairness factor and a whole lot more. Thanks to you. Thanks to the team. Thanks to uh, uh, Charlie, my guest. We'll see you tomorrow. Be well. Be safe. And stay free. AM 1420. The answer. Wait till Goddard sees my woolly bear. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.